Welcome back to season three of Beyond the X's and O's. In the first two seasons were so much fun. We got to talk all things quarterbacks with like of Troy Aikman and Steve Young and Brett Favre. Just fascinating stories. But now we get to talk in season three to your favorite college head coach. Yes, we're going to do the big time college head coaches. Uh, it'd be exciting to hear about their Friday Night Live experience. Uh, what their take is on multi-sport athletes. I'm I guarantee you're going to be shocked by how some of them weigh that into the recruiting process, how they got the first coaching gig and how much went into getting that first coaching gig. The, the journey these guys went on to climb the ladder of coaching and all the lessons learned while doing so. We get some incredible personal philosophies, core values, uh, human development programs by coaches. Uh, and some very, very unique relationships that come with a lifetime of coping in football life. None of those relationships are more important than one we talk about at the end of every episode, and that's their family relationship. The impact their families are having on their coaching journey and some of the sacrifices, frankly, they've had to make. You're really going to enjoy season three of Beyond the X's and O's. I don't think we thought of it at the time. I think I thought maybe when I was that age that everybody played three sports you know that's just what you did you know and i think growing up and it's a blue collar town i remember telling my dad that one year i i was thinking about not running track and he was like good what are you gonna do for a job and i go what do you mean do for a job he said well if you're not running track then you get a job i was like, i'll be at track tomorrow so it was one of those deals Welcome back to Beyond the X's and O's, and today is a thrill. We get to sit down with a dear friend of mine, a coach I respect as much as anybody, Chip Kelly, head football coach UCLA. A fascinating conversation. I love that we really dive in early uh, to his blue-collar New England roots. Yeah, we talk about his high school career, but we quickly pivot uh, to how he started as a GA at Columbia, making $4,000 a year free housing and swears he was the richest guy in the world and had it going on. Uh, how he cut his teeth as a coach on the defensive side of the ball. Now, everybody knows Chip Kelly for being an offensive mastermind. Uh, here's a guy, I think it's his first four years he spent coaching defense. In fact, he was the DC at Johns Hopkins. So a defensive guy transitioning to an offensive guy. Incredible lessons he teaches about being a young coach uh, that if you're a young coach listening, uh, you need to listen. Uh, two great lines come out of this conversation. Ones that he admittedly stole from somebody else. But one is you're not a coach until you've rode a yellow school bus. I think every coach can resonate with that. That's coached at the high school level, or coached at a low level junior college or low level college that you really learn how to coach by teaching the least and teaching in tough situations. Um, and then we talk about a great frosty quote from Portland State, uh, the big times where you're at. And for a guy that's truly been to the big time, UCLA, Philadelphia Eagles, Oregon, San Francisco 49ers, uh, he would tell you the big time was always where he was at. Um, love kind of how he just raved about his players and the culture at Oregon as we transitioned from his 15 years of being a non-Power 5 head coach and going to Oregon. And that the real myth was that it was about the uniforms, it was about the sizzles, about all that when really to him, it was about the substance. It was about that blue collar mentality, that chip on your shoulder mentality that those kids had uh, at Oregon. And he raves about his time in the NFL. And I, and I think sometimes, per, unfortunately, perception becomes reality and never become your opinions 
of what coaches were in the NFL. Here's a coach that was successful in the NFL and actually really enjoyed those players. And he talks about it. Uh, and then I just love when we kind of settled in on what he's done at UCLA. They're getting ready to enter year five. Uh, the four years of building culminated in eight and four record last year. Six guys drafted, 13 guys in NFL camps, but just really defining what it means to be a Bruin and how proud he is of what they, not him, they have built at UCLA. So buckle up. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode of Coach Chip Kelly. And more than anything else, you're going to learn a lot if you're a guy that wants to coach. Well, I couldn't be more excited uh, to have Chip Kelly, head football coach at UCLA, on today with the Beyond the X's Nose podcast. Chip is a dear friend, somebody I've learned a ton from, and can't wait for you all to hear about his story. Coach, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This, it's, a, it's a weird time for us as head coaches. We're not allowed to go on the road. Um, we got weekends. You know, recruits in every weekend. Our assistants are out, so you're kind of lonely in the office. So this is, uh, you're catching me on a good day. This is a welcome break. Well, I want to start where, where it all started for you. Manchester Central High School in New Hampshire. Coach Leonard, Gill Stadium. Walk me through your first high school varsity start and all the emotions that went with it. Wow. Yeah. That's a long time ago. Um, I grew up in a, in a town that just absolutely loves sports. So um, you always played a sport every season. So you went from football to either basketball or hockey to track or baseball. And you just, that's what everybody did. You know, the, the youth sports in my hometown were amazing. Um, there was a bunch of unbelievable coaches at the youth level and that fostered um, your love for the game. So I think everybody that you went to elementary school with or junior high with uh, was playing something and it was um, everybody was involved. And then that was the cool part about it. So, you know, the highlight I think was, you know, to be able to play a Friday night game in Gill Stadium. Um, we had a town of four, four high schools, um, three public, one Catholic. We all used the same field to play our, our varsity games at. Um, there's a former minor league baseball stadium. So it was just a, it was an unbelievable kind of growing up there. That was always when you were a little kid, you just, you always wanted to play in Gill Stadium. So, um, you know, to, to finally do it, you know, and be out there on the field was a really cool experience. You mentioned all the sports and what a big sports town it was. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you also played hockey and ran track? Yeah. And that was just what everybody did. So you just went from one to the other. What did you learn? I, and it's an interesting conversation because, like, the time management, the learning how to play different roles on different teams, challenging yourself different ways athletically. Can you point back to those experiences that helped you become better at what you did at the time, but also now what you do now as a coach? Um, I think when you're in it, you don't even realize it because everybody did it. And growing up in New England, there's distinctive seasons. So it's very difficult to play football year round. It's very difficult to play baseball year round. So in the wintertime, you had to go inside. So you either went into the hockey rink or you went into a gymnasium. So it was just kind of understood that that's what you did, you know, and that's really how the town was set up. And it was, I don't think we thought of it at the time. I think I thought maybe when I was that age that everybody played three sports, you know, that's just what you did, you know, and I think growing up and it's a blue collar town. I remember telling my dad that one year I, I was thinking about not running track and he was like, good, what are you going to do for a job? 
And I go, what do you mean do for a job? He said, well, if you're not running track, then you get a job. I was like, I'll be up track tomorrow. So it was one of those deals where I think that the entire mindset of the community was was one that told you, hey, it's um, it's just something that you did. And I don't think he would, we didn't think of it any different. I didn't think of opportunities where, what wouldn't you do if you weren't participating in sports? You know, when school was over at two o'clock, what did you do before you went home for dinner? Well, you either, when you were little, you went to the park and hung out and played all the time, and then you couldn't wait till you get a chance to play in an organized sport. So, yeah, but there are lots of kids that are thinking about it, right? There are kids in California and Florida and the Southeast and pretty much everywhere but New England that are specializing now. And see, you sit in now. What's kind of your thirty thousand foot view of specialization and one sport athletes and maybe the value of a dual, dual sport athlete? Um, I, I'm a huge multi-sport guy. I, I think the amount of things that you can learn, um, you learn different skill patterns just from running, you know, running up and down the basketball court and covering somebody is different than being an offensive lineman, you know, and I think it makes you have better feet and you're better in pass pro. Um, there's so many different things as a receiver, you understand spacing by playing other sports, you know, to not be in one area. You know, you can understand how to spread the field just like you spread the court or you spread the rink in hockey. Um, quarterbacks have better vision. You know, you got to be able to, because they're flow sports. Um, and there's a little bit of, there's a lot of flow to football. It's not always static. And, and I think that's a huge help. Um, so I think there's so many different things. Um, but the most important thing for me is the ability to compete. And, and I don't care what the sport is. Um, you know, if you're a wrestler, you know, you're on the mat by yourself. You know, you, you don't you don't have a teammate to come rescue you. Um, but the, the amount of times you can get into competitive situations, I think, makes you a better athlete. Um, so the guys that specialize year round and play football just in the fall when you get 12, 13, 14 opportunities, that's it. You're competing 12 or 13 times and you're practicing the rest of the time. But um, give me a kid that can be at the free throw line with a one and one you know, down one with a one and one with 10 seconds on the clock and say, all right, now what? You're the only guy left. You know, you can't tap to a teammate. You know, I think all of those opportunities to compete, I think, is what makes you a better athlete also. You know, it's not always training. Um, it's it's those opportunities. So um, I'm a firm believer of it. I think if you look at the stats of the guys that are drafted in the first round, how many of them are multi-sport athletes, I, I think it's a really big deal. Um, I don't think you get enough exposure to competition. Um, and the more exposure you can get to competition, the better off it is. Man, I couldn't agree more. Well, you, you were a recruitable athlete. Um, now, I'm not going to say you're old, but you're old enough to where there was no huddle highlights. There were no yeah. high-speed video transfers. There were no camps there or big camps like these showcase camps. There weren't stars or none of that stuff. So walk me through your recruiting process was that normally – that ultimately landed you in New Hampshire. Yeah, I think part of it back then was, you know, you knew if a school was interested in you if you got a letter, you know, and I think I say that nowadays and kids don't understand that, but if you got a letter in the mail from school X or school Y, it meant they were somewhat interested in you. You filled out a questionnaire, you sent it back into the school, um, and then if you were really good, you actually got a phone call from that school that they were interested in you. Um, after your season was over your senior year, schools would come by, and that was usually the first time schools got a chance to see you in person. Um, and 
you know, then they would invite you up for an official visit and, you know, you'd go up and, and spend time, meet the coaching staff and meet the players and, and have a host and show you around. And um, that was kind of the extent of it, you know, and, and it was, you know, I got recruited at the Division three and 1AA level. Um, you know, the only real Division one school in our area was Boston College. Um, wasn't good enough to play there. Um, but it was New Hampshire or Holy Cross or a couple of Division three schools. And um, I just decided New Hampshire was a good spot. I had a couple of teammates that were already on the team, um, you know, went there as a preferred walk-on. How was the college experience? We've never actually talked about this. Like, how was your college football experience? I loved it. I loved it. You know, we, we played for – Bill Bowes was our head coach. He was a former captain at Penn State. He took over as a head coach there at age 27 and was there for almost 25 years as the head coach. And it was a tough, hard nose. Um, you know, we were like a smaller version of Penn State. Um, we were tough, hard nosed, played good defense, ran the ball, um, and, and were sound. Um, it was a physical style of play. Um, but we didn't know any different. You know, that's kind of what it was like growing up in New England. It was just kind of tough, hard nosed football. And, um, you know, there were some great matchups with all the other state universities, University of Mass. You know, UMass was a huge rival. Um, UMaine was a huge rival. You know, Boston University at the time had football. Northeastern had football. Um, so there was a, it was a great conference um, and a bunch of kids throughout New England and New York and New Jersey. Kind of that's where you gravitated to. And, um, but I had a great experience, played with some great players, um, friends to this day, you know, that you're just extremely close with. Um, and it was, it was a blast. I, I loved it. Awesome. Well, we're going to go to our first break. When we get back, we'll talk to Coach Kelly about how he cut his teeth in coaching and go through his incredible coaching career at this point. We'll be right back. Here at Beyond the X's and O's, we don't shy away from real-life conversations. And today, we're talking about one of the most taboo topics, finances. U.S. Bank offers a wide range of credit cards for a wide variety of financial needs. And one of its most useful cards is the U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card. With a low introductory APR for 24 billing cycles, this card is a tool for getting ahead. The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card is a savvy financial move for large purchases, unexpected expenses, and balance transfers. And with the ability to customize your payment date, this card gives you control over your financial future. Apply now at usbank.com platinum. With the U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card, you can be worry-free for the next two years. To see if you qualify for the best introductory APR out there, visit usbank.com platinum. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. All right, so you get finished playing football in New Hampshire and you decide you're going to go into coaching. Walk us through kind of that transition, uh, the high school coaching experience, and, and kind of what got you feverish about coaching. Um, I just went back home when I was done, you know, trying to figure out what I was supposed to do. And then I was offered a job to go back in my high school. Do you want to help out? Um, everybody in my hometown, or it seemed like, helped out at some level, whether it was um, Little League Baseball, Pop Warner Football, 
um, the Manchester Regional Youth Hockey Association, CYO Basketball, or something. So somebody was doing something because you just learned that when you were growing up, everybody gave back. So when I had a chance to go back home, our high school coach asked me if I'd help out, and I actually enjoyed it. I didn't. I never had a plan or thought or design on it, um, but I was really kind of bitten by the bug. It was after I was done playing. Um, so I'd go over to New Hampshire and go back to school and during spring ball, you know, to kind of start to learn the coaching aspect of it. I didn't think about coaching ball was going on. Um, and then and through those ties, um, I'd done that for a couple of years. And then I had a, a friend of mine that, uh, Sean McDonald, who had was at Columbia University at the time, that asked me to come down and, you know, if you're thinking about not coaching high school ball and coaching college ball, and I was like, you know, what does that entail? Because it was a hard time. Getting a teaching job was a very difficult time. So teaching in the system. So I taught at the um, State Youth Development Center and then went over in the afternoon and coached at the high school. I wasn't at the high school. So trying to get a teaching job at the same time was difficult. So, you know, when I got a chance to interview down there with Sean, um, who was the outside linebacker coach at the time, was just an assistant, but had played at New Hampshire and then had coached high school ball in Manchester and coached against me when I was in high school. Um, you know, he said, I, I think this is a great opportunity for you. I had some friends that I played with in college that were coaching college ball and really talked highly about how much fun they were having doing it. And then, you know, I thought about it at that point in time, if it's football 24-7 and you don't have to have a teaching job, but this is a great deal. You know, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. So um, took a job at uh, Columbia, made uh, low four figures um, and thought it was the greatest job in the world. I remember the first year I got paid $4,000 to coach. and But we had free free housing, and we got one meal a day. And I thought, I was like, wait a second. I get $500 a month spending money? This this is this is like heaven. This is the greatest thing in the world. And, and I, I laugh at young guys starting out now and kind of what their opportunities are. And, and uh, I did such a good job my first year. I got bumped to eight thousand dollars my second year, and I was just fired up. Like you go double my salary. You know, I coached freshman football at the time. The Ivy Leagues had freshman football, um, and then my second year I coached on the varsity. Um, they had five full-time assistants, and I was a six full-time assistant making eight thousand dollars a year. And I thought it was the greatest job in the world. And um, and when you look back at it, you had no responsibilities in terms of. We were in New York City, so we didn't. You didn't have a car. You didn't have insurance payments. You didn't have any of that stuff. So, um, and I wasn't thinking. You're just living in the moment. You're not thinking long term or what this is all about. We were just, we were just having fun, and it was, it was a blast. Learning ball. Uh, I coached for Ray Tellier at the time, who was, uh, you know, it was he was turning that football program around, and he really did. You know, at the time, Columbia wasn't very good, um, and Ray turned it into an eight-win team, you know, which was really kind of a miracle in that league. Um, and it was awesome. It was a great experience. And then I left there and went back to New Hampshire, um, you know, as a, as a young assistant. And I was there for a season. And then my first full-time coaching job was at Johns Hopkins University in, uh, in Baltimore. And, um, and then I went from there. But it was, you know, three years of trying to get your feet wet before you got your first full-time job. And, and I loved it. You know, I loved the grind. I loved that it was football 24-7, that you get up in the morning and you were thinking about football. You were breaking film down. Um, it was it was a unique experience. I want to circle back to that because you mentioned it in that story just about how you laugh at young coaches and then what they're walking into now. 
um, three years grinding, like you said, loving the grind, not knowing any different, 24-7 ball, 365, thinking you're the richest guy in the world making $4,000 a year in free housing. Um, what lessons, what we've learned from this podcast is we have a lot of young coaches watching. There's a lot of young coaches that are very ambitious, that are climbing the ladder, that want to hear from you all. Like what, what are the biggest takeaways from those three years of grind and how can you speak to young coaches right now? Not just the ones you're interviewing to hire at UCLA, but just nationwide um, about being a young coach and, and cutting your teeth the right way. I think it's, you know, it's a great point. I think it's what goes back to what we talked about earlier with the high school kids of specializing. You know, my first three years in, as, as a coach, um, we're on the deep four, four years. We're on the defensive side of the ball. So I learned defense first from a coaching standpoint. Um, you know, I played on both sides of the ball in, in college because um, I wasn't good in offense. So I got moved to defense, um, which happens. But <laughs> I was I was a defensive coach uh, my first four years. And I think I learned defense. And then I got the opportunity to go back to New Hampshire for a full time job on the offensive side of the ball. But I remember Coach Bowes explaining to me that he wanted somebody that had a defensive background. And I thought, I didn't think of it that way, but I think it really helped me as a coach. Um, the other thing that helped you by coaching at lower levels, uh, everybody wants to be the GA at Alabama or everybody wants to be the GA at UCLA. Um, but I encourage our guys to take jobs at the lower level because we had to do everything. So I can have a legitimate conversation with our video coordinator here about how they're shooting practice because we had to help set up cameras to shoot practice. I know that you have to white balance the camera so that we get the right view because you have to do that at the lower levels and, and nothing was too big or too small, you know, in, in recruiting weekends, everybody had to pitch in and do everything. So, you know, how do you set up a recruiting weekend? And when you go to some of these bigger schools where, well, the recruiting people do that. I'm just a GA. I just, I'm in charge of defense and I, I don't, you don't get to learn every aspect, but I think it helped prepare me for every aspect as I moved up the coaching ladder because I had to do it at a younger level. So it's kind of like not specializing um, that the high school kids you talk about from an athletic standpoint of playing multiple sports. I think when you have an opportunity to coach high school football, to coach division three football, like I did at Johns Hopkins, to coach one double A football, um, to be kind of in on the ground for of it before I moved to Oregon, um, I think it gave you great perspective because uh, you understand how to do more with less, uh, I think is a really big deal. Um, and it gives you great perspective of what it's like and you're very appreciative of when you get there. You know, it's not like this is what it's always like. You, you kind of see how the other side lives. So I think it puts it all in perspective for you. Well, and you're stealing all my segues because you answered the question I was getting ready to ask, but I'll, we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Um, the value in coaching the less. And we're not saying they're bad, but obviously when you're in New Hampshire, John Hopkins, you know, you're not coaching the same quality of athlete that you were at Oregon. Um, how much value is there in learning how to teach? And this is the one as I interview coaches, it's just you gotta learn how to teach Johnny, right? Johnny can chew gum and walk barely, but you gotta teach him how to get in a three-point stance and how to make athletic moves and hand placement organize his feet or catch a football, throw a football, whatever it is. How much did you learn as a teacher coaching at some of those quote unquote lower levels? We know it's good football, but it is lower than Oregon. No, it, 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 you hit the nail on the head as I think, 
being a really good football coach is you have to be a problem solver. And, and yes. the problems come in so many different ways. And so how do you get great at this solution? You say, hey, we, we, you know, I watched the Redskins run this. And we're like, great, but our left guard can't pull. So what do we do? You know, all right, well, how about if we do it this way? You know, because what we're asking our left guard to do can't be the same that a professional team is asking their left guard to do or that, you know, a power five team is asking their left guard to do. But we still have to go play and we got to be successful. Um, our job is to put our players in position to be successful and then get out of their way and let them do it. Um, the best coaches at any level can look at their group and say, all right, we're going to do this. This is what this group is good at because we evaluated them in this way. And then we're going to teach them in that way. So I think that's the cool part of coaching and learning to coach at all sorts of different levels is um, is understanding what you have and then working with that. And that's what I think ultimately coaching is all about, because when you look at the individual that you have is my job is to put him in a position where he can be successful. Um, and then what does it take? I think it takes a, a person that's really self-aware and can analyze what they have in front of them and then put them in the right situations. And that's what I, I, I admire, you know, coaches at any level that are ultimately successful year in and year out on a consistent basis because they can do a great job. Every team is different. Every year is different. But when you have guys that can, can really assess what they have and put them in positions to make plays, you, you kind of marvel at them. And I'll have a message, young coaches, too. I'm sure you'll co-sign on this one. It's like, don't be in such a hurry to get the logo job before you can actually keep the logo job. I see so many coaches get the opportunity to get the logo job. They're not ready. So guess what? They're done in a couple of years because they get exposed. And they don't have that logo coach, the Chip Kelly, the Nick Saban, the Kirby Smart, whoever it is, call and endorse them for their next job because they failed the first time. Go learn how to teach JV high school football. You can teach those kids football. You can coach, right? And then go do the New Hampshire's or the NAIA's and get really good there. Now when you get the logo job, guess what? You're going to keep the logo job and you're going to climb within the logos <laughs> because you are you add value to that organization and you can coach a lot of different types of kids. Two things I've always remembered. One of them was from Mark Matlack, who was our defense coordinator, was a I was at New Hampshire. I played for Mark and then coached with him. And he always would tell me um, the big time is where you're at. You know, I think anybody yes. um, that's trying to, you know, the the old adage, the, the Kevin Elko, be where your feet are, I think is a huge deal. But I think every job is important. Um, and then the other one I remember I, I was visiting, and I don't remember the coach's name, who was a running back coach at Louisiana Monroe when I was out. As an assistant, that was the great thing when I was at Division Three and one AA schools is that I could visit anybody in the country and they would share information with me because we weren't playing against them. And I, I, I love taking trips to visit schools. Um, and I remember him telling me one day that he asked me if I had coached high school ball because he didn't want to really meet with me if I hadn't coached high school ball. And I said, well, why would you say that? And he said, if you haven't been on a yellow school bus, then you're not a coach. And I that always resonated with me. And, and, and it made a ton of sense because – you have to make sure you got who's bringing the balls to the game. You know, do we have enough water on the sidelines? You know, and, and, and do we the little teeny things that I think when you do coach at, and I, I like the term a logo school, um, you never have to really think about those things. But those are critical in terms of what you're doing. And I think it it just teaches you um, 
I go back to one of the greatest teaching movies I've ever seen is The Karate Kid. And and when you watch how Mr. Miyagi treated Daniel-san, is like, you know, paint the fence. He was like, what does this have to do with karate? And just trust me, it does. You know, don't 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 worry about it. But it taught him the process of how to block and how to come back and then how to go this way and how to do all the things that you have to do. But he used a different thing to get that accomplished. It's the same thing that you learn details when you get an opportunity to, to when you have to do it all. And I think that's one of the things that I think maybe if you jump right into that G8, that high profile GA job, you don't you don't get to really figure that part of it out. And I think part of again being a good coach is being a good problem solver, being being able to come up with solutions. Well then put yourself in a situation where you have to come up with solutions. You just said it. It's I think, you know, and my coaching journey is different. It was more of a player and then building a camp series, Elite Eleven and now coaching, but my life's been with coaches. I'm the son of a coach. Coaches like you have been my best friends throughout my career. And the coaches that were on the yellow school bus, and I love that. I'm going to steal that, by the way, uh, and treat big time where they're at. That's Coach Frosty from, I think it's Portland State. Those are the guys that train their eyes to see the little things because the little things are what's keeping them alive coaching. And if you skip that process of where the small things are all things and you have it trained your eye to check if all the mouthpieces are in the bag before you go to the game, if the balls are there, if the field's lined, if there's enough water, all those things that you, this new logo GA goes, well, that's for somebody else to do. Well, guess what? You've, you've robbed yourself the ability to train yourself that when you do get a big gig, that you spot all those things within your program. So, um, that was such a great take. That, there was a lot of meat on that bone there. So the only thing quick, because it was such a high profile thing for you, you spent 15 years in non-Power 5 coaching. Now you get to Oregon, all the bells and whistles, all the resources, good players. Uh, what's your biggest takeaway from your time in Oregon? We'll get into the rest of your coaching career later, but like the, the one big, the biggest thing you took away from those incredible years at the University of Oregon. Yeah, I think the big misconception was that it was about the uniforms and it, it wasn't, it was about the players in the uniforms and we had great players um, that were great college players. Now some of them turned out to be great NFL players, but I, I think it was still, there was a mindset there. And I think it's the Oregon mindset, you know, the state of Oregon, just tough, hard nose. I think it came from the legendary coach, Bill Bowerman, you know, the track coach that everybody kind of reveres the men of Oregon about, what athletics taught you about growing, you know, and I, I think of this quote all the time because, you know, obviously everybody jokes about the weather in Oregon and Bill Bowerman's famous quote that it's, uh, there's no such thing as bad weather, just soft people. And and that resonated <laughs> with me when I went with that Oregon. And, and it's, you got that type of person at Oregon. You just got a tough, hard-nosed kid that um, wanted a shot, you know, and I think they've become a have, but I think when I got there, they always thought they were a have-not. And they competed that way. And there's something to that. I, I think that's the one thing um, I didn't understand or watch because I don't see it because I was in it. You know, the, the uniforms and the flash and all these other things. And to me, it was it was about how hard our kids worked. You know, that group of guys that I had an opportunity to coach for there um, was unbelievable. And their work ethic was second to none. And, and all the bells and whistles that I think people saw on Saturday or saw on college game day, wasn't what the day to day was like. You know, the day to day was a bunch of hard nosed, tough kids that worked their tails off at 
being fast. You know, everybody's like, you have the fastest team in the country. And I was like, well, when we recruited them, we weren't the fastest team in the country. Like they, they developed that. They worked for it. Uh, Jimmy Radcliffe, our strength and conditioning coach, did an unbelievable job of training kids how to run as football players. And you know, everybody's like, oh, my, you, you guys got a track team out there and you're playing basketball on grass. And I was like, well, it, it, they didn't come in that way. You know, they, they earned it and they worked that. And I think that's the one thing I loved about the group of guys I had coached there was in an unbelievable work ethic. And I'll tip my cap to you. I don't know if a lot of people know this coach, but it's not just the type of players they were in college. Many of them will be really good NFL players. It's quality of human that came out of your program. Yeah. And we'll get into this in the next segment, but you know, I got to know some of those guys that left your program and get into NFL locker rooms or just get into life. Some got into coaching, some got into business and, they were really good humans. They weren't just good football mm-hmm. players. They didn't just won a lot of games. They were good people because of what the core values you instilled in them at the University of Oregon. So I know you can't say that. I'll say it for you. Uh, it's what you did there is more impressive with the person than it is with the team, and, and that's saying a lot. So, hey, we're going to go to our second break. When we get back, we're going to talk about uh, something that Coach Kelly is one of the few humans in the world that he has done. We'll be right back. New Starbucks Bio Energy Drink. With caffeine naturally found in coffee fruit, it's energy that's good. It's a beverage that is crafted from caffeine naturally found in coffee fruit, as well as antioxidant vitamin C. It includes three delicious fruity flavors, mango guava, raspberry lime, pineapple passion fruit. A refreshing fruit flavored boost of feel good energy in a way only Starbucks can deliver. Starbucks Buy It Energy Drink packs energy and flavor that gives me that boost when gearing up to watch the big game, have a long day out on the field with the kids, or sit down and have a quality conversation for our audience. Starbucks Buy It Energy Drink is available online, at grocery stores, convenience stores, and gas stations nationwide. I'll get right to the, the big line, and that is that Coach Kelly is one of the few humans, and it's true, that's been a power five head coach and an NFL head coach. And he's had the experience of coaching that first game at the power five level. He's had that experience of coaching that first game at the NFL level. So it's kind of a two-pronged question, coach. Walk me through the difference, if any, the nerves, the challenges, on um, the first time you put that whistle around your neck and you walk out into Autzen Stadium or in the NFL. Well, I think you're always nervous, you know, the first time you do anything. I had never been a head coach until I got the job at Oregon. So that was my first head coaching experience. Um, wanted it to try to be as smooth and uh, seamless as possible. You know, you were placing a legend in Mike Bellotti that, you know, had won a ton of games, was our athletic director at the time. And um, we went out and fell flat on our face. You know, we played <laughs> Boise on a Thursday night. Uh, we got upset, um, and then we had an incident right at the end of the game where a uh, player punched another player, and it was it was not how you would script it in Hollywood, I could tell you that. Um, but it was just the same thing is that you have to come up with solutions, and then how do you deal with it? And I remember talking to my dad after the game, and he was like, so you want to be a football coach? So he just kind of rolled with it. You know, that team responded from there and went on to win the – the Pac-12 in my, in, or the Pac-10 at the time in, in my first year as, as a head coach and had a bunch of great players um, that really just responded. You know, it was just, it was what we always talk about it. It was one game and one game won't define us. Um, 
but it was a it was one of those because it was the Thursday night to kick off college football where everybody saw it and everybody talked about it. Um, but to how that team responded and came back and had an unbelievable um, had a season and had a year to remember, um, I think was really special and got an opportunity to play in the Rose Bowl in our first year. So, um, you know, my first game in, in the NFL, we opened up on Monday night actually and played uh, another primetime game out in Washington. Um, and uh, it was a better result. We ended up winning. Uh, Mike Vick was on fire. Mike had an unbelievable game. Uh, LaShawn McCoy had an unbelievable game. LaShawn Jackson had an unbelievable game. Um, we moved the ball up and down the field, and it, it was a lot of fun. You know, and it, it was two, two totally – I never thought about comparing and contrasting the two of them. Um, it was two totally different uh, situations, but it was both – they're both situations that, that helped you grow and, and become – better in everything that you're doing because I, I look at every time you get an opportunity to compete as a learning opportunity and so you know what can you learn from both situations and how do you get better from them you know it's really interesting too coach you you because you were head coach of two nfl franchises you manage the salary cap you're part of the, the business of football now there's a business of college football um, and I, you don't have to take a side. I'm just curious, navigating this name, image, likeness, NIL waters. Uh, what are you finding as the challenge there? Do you, can you lean on your NFL time? Uh, or is everybody just kind of figuring out, like you said, solving problems as they come up? I think it goes, we are solving problems. Um, and whatever's presented to you, you just you know, what are the rules of engagement and then how do we work with them? And that's how I've always faced it. You know, when I listen to people say, this is demise of college athletics or this is this, it's like, you don't know. No one knows what what's around the corner. And that's the beauty of it. Like enjoy it, enjoy it and relish it. That's the part that I think is, is exciting. You know, it's a new time, you know, name, image and likeness is something that I think is, it, it, they should have that. I think student athletes should have an opportunity to make money off of, their name, image, and likeness, and I don't have an issue with it. You know, and it's, it's. I think sometimes when it becomes a bigger deal, and and schools have weaponized it, um, you know, to try to attract recruits. Now, by NCAA rule, you're not supposed to be able to do that. You know, boosters are involved in recruiting; they're not supposed to be involved in recruiting. Um, but I, if that's going on somewhere else, and that's someone else's issue, that's not our issue. Our issue is how do we navigate it here? Um, sometimes I think it clears the picture up for you. You know, I've always believed that football is something that you do because it helps you become something. It's not something you do because it, you get something. Um, if someone yes. is looking in the recruiting window of, hey, I want to get this out of this, then this is probably not the school for you. So that's okay. You know, there's a lot of different schools out there that offer a lot of different uh, things for you. And I think the, the thing that makes this all work is when kids go to the place where they fit the best. Um, and we try yeah. to make, make it um, this is what we're about, and if this is what you're about, then that's great. You know, we, we think the four years here will be a transformational experience for you. Um, it's not going to be a transactional experience for you. If you're looking for a transactional experience, then maybe you should go somewhere else. Um, and you can flourish there, too. It's not that that's a negative, but it's just that our school doesn't offer that. You know, we don't have a collective, um, and I understand that, and I understand how it works, but we do have players that make money in name, image, and likeness, that are on our current roster. Um, and I heard one of our kids say, I go, well, he does a really good job of name, image, and likeness. They're like, yeah, he really works at it. And I was like, hmm, there's a novel approach. You know, if, if you want to get paid, then this kid really works hard at name, image, and likeness, and he's been successful at it. 
I think that's a that's a great lesson to learn. You know what I mean? I think you know, I worry when kids are just the one thing I worry about, and it's not here; it's just an old marketing thing. If kids are getting paid to, for nothing, you know, you're just getting X because and you don't have to do anything. You know, and they used to they used to joke about them in the old days in recruiting that we'll give you a job and you know you turn the sprinklers on, but they're automatic sprinklers and they're paying somebody for doing nothing. Well, I don't know who that really benefits, um, but. I, we're not. I'm not at a university that um, they do that at. So I'm, I'm at a place that I, I think we share the same values and visions. Is that you can get a lot out of this this collegiate experience, and you, that you're going to reflect back on um, when you're gone. And it's those lessons that you learned. It's kind of as we talked about earlier. When you go someplace where they they you have to do everything, then you're prepared when you get out into life. If you go somewhere where they've enabled you for four years and woke you up to go to class and had you major in eligibility, I don't know if they're helping you in the long run. And isn't it fair to say too, that you probably have more joy coaching a kid that's not in it for the transaction, that's in, in it more for the transformation. I mean, a guy like you that's kind of climbed every hill there is as a coach, at this some point, yes, you want to win, and yes, you want to represent the institution the best possible way, and yes, you want to develop young men, but you also want to have joy in the job. It seems like it'd be a lot more joy, joyful to coach like-minded kids. It is. You know, we had, what was the draft, three weeks ago? We had six kids drafted, the most in the conference. We had 13 kids in, uh, in camp. Of the 13 in camp, 12 have their degrees. The only one who didn't have a degree left early after three, and I know between his mom and dad and myself, we'll make sure he does that. And then of the 12 that have the degree, nine of them have grad degrees. So, you know, that's what you gain your most satisfaction in, I think, as a coach, because um, you play in the league and you play in the league for a long time, but everybody has to retire at some point in time or will be told that they can no longer play in the league. Is did you prepare them for life after football at the same time you prepare them for life in football? Um, and I think that's where you gain your satisfaction. You know, to me, it was kind of crystal clear. We played LSU um, this year, um, but the night before the game, there was a um, celebration of life for Harry Donahue, um, and I went to it just to, you know, represent the current team. And there was 200 former players there, and no one was asking Troy Aikman or any of the former greats there, what their record was. You know, it was just, you know, it was about the relationships that they had with Coach Donahue on their teammates and getting together. And I, it kind of put things in perspective um, for me, you know, of, of kind of what this is all about, you know, what we, why we got involved in it for the first, for the first time. And when people talked about Terry's lasting effect on them, it was, you know, how they became good husbands and good fathers and leaders in their community, you know, not, what a great X and O guy he was, or how they ran this scheme or that scheme, and and I think ultimately is that's what we're all in this for. Um, you know, we're we're all competitive and we want to win games every single time we get an opportunity to go out there. But I think when you can see the bigger picture, I think it it it's it's beneficial to everybody. And I think when the guys understand how much they can learn from this game, not only about the game itself, but how it's going to apply to life, is is a really big deal. Amen. That was beautifully said. So year five, coming off an eight and four season, uh, you kind of touched on it, you know, the right fit of kid. You've gone through an entire recruiting cycle, six drafted, 13 in camps. Uh, talk to me about your excitement level for this year's squad. Yeah, we're, we're fired up. You know, I think we've really become a 
player-led program, not a coach-fed program. Um, and that takes a while. That's not a, um, that's not something you can turn around and just do. Um, you know, I was fortunate because of the jobs that I've held that I get to meet a lot of people. Um, and there was a great book written about the New Zealand All Black team. And it was, I was kind of, it, it's called Legacy. And, and I just was amazed at the book and, and obviously their success rate and all the things about it. And so I got a chance to meet Sir Graham Henry um, when he was doing a, a tour through the, the United States and I was at Philly. And I told him I had read the book and he was just shook his head and said that, you know, he didn't he didn't like the book and that the guy had um, was supposed to write a book chronologically, you know, what went on during the season. And then he turned it into this business book. And I was like, whoa. And he said, you know, the one thing that bothered me and he said, it doesn't bother me because I just want to talk to you about it is that it's not that easy. It's not just you do this and you get this. It's. It is a long, involved process of what it takes to build a great organization, um, not just a team that's in something that's sustainable, not just a team that has a great season, and then the next year they fall off. So I think if you're if you're building it for the long haul, uh, you got to get the same the right processes and protocols in place for you to be successful year in and year out, and um, and it all starts with the players. And I think when you get the right players that share the same values and visions that you want to get accomplished. Um, and they, they want to get the same things accomplished. And I think you're, you're, you're onto something. So um, this group right now, it works extremely hard, um, but you don't have to tell them to work hard. Like they want to work hard. You know, I think in any good team, you got to kind of pull the reins back a little bit. You know, they, they, they want to go, they want to go all the time. And that's, what's fun to be around these guys. So, um, you know, we, we, I, I know, We'll continue to attract the right type of kid here that fits that fits with the values and visions of this university. Um, but what I'm really excited about next year's team just because of the leadership we're getting from from all of our players. You know, and I think they they've done a great job. They had a great spring. They're continuing right now into that. You know, we're transitioning into our summer program. So, um, you know, we're excited about kind of where we're going to be next year, and uh, can't wait to get preseason camp kicked off here in August. I love it. Well, you've answered this question throughout your answers, but I'm going to just give you the floor on what differentiates UCLA from other programs. What's it mean to be a Bruin? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I don't know what differentiates us because I'm not really sure what goes on in every other program um, just because I, I, I haven't been there. And I always kind of we always will never talk about other programs at our place just because the first one, I don't know enough about it to talk about any other program. I know what our program's about, but um, we're really about three things. We're about books, we're about ball, and we're about toughness. And if you're about those three things, then, then it will be a really good experience. Here. You know, I think getting a degree from here um, is a big deal. It's the number one public institution in the country, and, and it has a lot of weight. And I think that's a lot of weight so that when football is over, when it's over, I don't know. Um, but it's going to it's gonna end for you at some point in time. It ends for everybody, um, well, except for Tom Brady. Um, but besides, <laughs> Good Tom, point. besides Tom, you either, and you've been through it, you know, and when you're done, and, and I used to talk about this all the time when I was in the NFL, and you have to tell those guys on the cutdown day that first Friday in September that their dream of playing in the NFL is over. Um, what's next? 
you know, and, and how can you assist them in whatever their next phase, how do they transition into that next phase of life? But what you're going to fall back on is what, what you did in your four years of college, you know, and, and, you know, do you want to get into finance? Do you want to get into medicine? Do you want to get into law? Do you want to get into business? Do you want to get into coaching? I, I don't know. Um, but everybody's going to know what's your degree in, you know, and I think we're at a place where you don't major in eligibility. Um, you know, you're going to get a degree and you're going to get a meaningful degree and, and what can that unfold for you? But it, it's on the front end, we make sure they understand that it's about books and ball. Um, and to be successful at both, uh, the word I love, and I think it comes out, everything is just toughness and it's a, a mental toughness and a physical toughness. And, 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 uh, I think we define that for our players, you know, and I use Jack Clark, the, the rugby coach at Cal, who's ultra successful and his definition of mental toughness is the ability to move on to the next most important thing. And I, I, I think that's a just a great way to describe being a mentally tough person is that, you know, we all have events that occur in our lives and but what is our ability to move on to the next one um, and, and, and learn from the past experience is really a great definition of mental toughness. And then physical toughness for us is our desire for mission accomplishment is greater than our desire for personal comfort. You know, and I think if you can be mentally and physically tough, then you can be successful both academically and athletically. And that's really the core foundation of what we're, uh, what we're kind of hanging our hat on here. I love that. Lastly, I want to give you a chance to kind of pay it forward to anybody that helped launch you. Uh, you know, we kind of went through, touched on some of the coaches that were influential, but it could be parents, it could be anybody in your tribe that's helped get you where you're at. If you want to give them, I don't know if you have enough time. You know, I think when anybody is successful, there's just so many people. Like I, I know where where I grew up or where we grew up, and I talk about we because there's a bunch of us: Ryan Day, Danny Mullen, you know, all from a yep. small little town in New Hampshire. Um, but it was the youth coaches that that coached us in every sport, and, and really the community itself that just fostered that environment. That it, I just. I don't understand when people talk about specialization because we never even thought about that. It's you just, you're always out playing and you always had people to support you and coach you. And that was just something that everybody did and, and they gave back. So I think it's kind of what maybe nudged us into coaching because we had such a great experience doing it. But, you know, from all the youth coaches we had at every level um, to our high school coaches, to our college coaches, to Bill Bowes at New Hampshire and Sean McDonald, who were great mentors of mine, to Jimmy Margraff, who, God rest his soul, who just passed away a couple of years ago at Johns Hopkins, who gave me my first full-time job and was one of the best coaches I've ever been around in my entire life, to Mike Bellotti and all the guys I worked with at Oregon, um, to the people that I had an opportunity to coach with in the NFL and, and the players in the NFL that were awesome to coach. Um, you know, I think that's a huge misconception. Coaching professional athletes is an amazing experience because they want to get better every day and they make you accountable because uh, you can't go in there and BS them. You better know what you're talking about when you stand in front of those rooms. Um, you know, to the players that I had at Oregon, New Hampshire, and Johns Hopkins, and here at UCLA, they, they've just made our lives a blast. And if, if someone told me 25 years ago that this is where I'd be sitting, I would have signed up for this in a second because this is it's been an unbelievable ride, and we're just so fortunate to be a part of it. But we're a part of it because of all the great people that have helped us along in our lives. And um, it's a cool thing. I had to talk with Gus, share this with you, and it, it made great sense to me with Gus Bradley. And Gus is one of the all-time great guys in this profession. And he was talking to Dan Henning and Bill Parcells. And Bill and asked them how much they shared with other coaches. And you know what the NFL is like and how paranoid everybody is. Um, 
and his point was when you're young in your coaching career, because we, we tend not to share, but when you're young in your coaching career, you're about achievement and advancement. And as you get older, or Coach Barcells and Coach Henning were at the time, they were retired just visiting places. Um, you're about serving and impacting. And, I, and I, that just resonated with me. I think I grew up in a community where people were about serving and impacting. But I would challenge young coaches today to think that if you are about serving and impacting at a young age, because I was a young coach, I was about achievement and advancement. I would argue that if you start off thinking about serving and impacting at a young age, you'll actually achieve and advance more. Gosh, it's funny. You literally are stealing all my segues because I was going to end this show with a story as kind of a thank you to you. And you just kind of gave some of it away. For those of you who don't know, I was retired in Austin and I had this opportunity to come up to be a high school football coach. And contextually, I had opportunities to coach the NFL, coach in college, blah, 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 blah. Nobody really cares. Well, this, this thing hits my lap. As a retired NFL guy, kind of living the dream, played 218 rounds of golf in 2018. I called two people that day. I called Chip Kelly and I called Bill Parcells. <laughs> and I remember our conversation, Chip and I's conversation. I said, Coach, you know, this thing, what do I do? I mean, I, I remember being in Arkansas, driving from Texas to Louisville, and I call you and I'm like, Coach, what do I do? I, I don't know. And you were the voice of reason, and you used that term. You said, Trent, you can impact more at the high school level than any other place. Uh, your impact will be tremendous, and your purpose will be fulfilled. And, and Coach, just so you know, thank you. Because I, outside of being married for 29 years and my four children, this has been the most impactful thing I've ever been able to do. It's fulfilled my purpose more than anything else. And I give you and Coach Parcells, who, by the way, echoed the same thing, just a little bit differently. Um, you guys are the ones that nudged me this direction. I couldn't be more thankful. So thank you, thank you for that, and thank you for this time. Oh, You're the best, Coach. I didn't know that. That's cool. I appreciate that. Trying to love your friendship and, and what you do for kids is is awesome. And, and it, I grew up in this, so I don't know anything different than this. So I think it's, but I know it's not like this everywhere else. And. Um, but if everybody can just give back a little bit and serve and, and really be conscious of trying to help serve and impact, it's, it's amazing what you can get accomplished. Amen, brother. Well, thanks for your time. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. A big thanks again to Coach Chip Kelly, dear friend, a great football coach. We'll see you next time on Beyond the X's and O's.